And there we go. We are back again for another fantastic brand new year and brand new podcast for Friday Night Counter. It's like we're on episode 106, 107. I don't even know which one we're on, Salem. It's been crazy. Um, but yeah, back with a couple new regulars, hopefully for the rest of the year. Looking forward to speaking uh, football this time around and lots of good things and bad things to talk about today. Uh, we're obviously going to be touching on the passing of football great Pele. We're going to be talking about our respective football clubs and what we can expect from them each from 2023. We're going to be previewing the FA Cup third round and um, talking about our favourite shock exits and favourite goals from the FA Cup as well. And of course, we are going to be talking about the main topic today, and that is who are the players to watch out for in 2023. Salam, it's good to hear from you and see from you, my friend. How are you doing this time around in 2023? Yeah, good. To be honest, uh, I can't believe how quick the year's gone. Like, uh, Yesterday was my my first day, at, you know, starting my new job, and it's already been a year. It's flown by, so yeah, it's my work anniversary, if you want to call it. But yeah, I'm all good playing football again. Shoulders a lot better. I can go gym now properly as well. So yeah, happy days. That's what we like Wait, to hear. So PWC. Yeah, yeah, PWC. Yeah. Oh, mate, freedom, man. I'll give you that. I told I told you he said it as well. He said it the day, which is crazy. Oh mate, that's freedom that is, mate. Or oh, everyone will know that works at PwC for five years and then they leave. Trust me, you've got you've got proper freedom there now. You've got time to do things. I don't know, man. Let's see. I was at KPMG for four years, and I was the first year at PwC. So, Salam, you should have said no comment. No comment was <laughs> no, the thing you said. He's baited you oh, out there, oh, I think. You broke free, man, from the top four. Now you st- you staying in it? Nah, but, nah, stay in, stay in the top four. You know what I mean? <laughs> gonna be like my club top four soon as well so Villa aren't getting top four we're not I'm not making any more thumbnails with Aston Villa getting into Europe Salem I've had it with these thumbnails looking back on it it's crazy Jacob Ramsey the next best thing from England it's not happening it's not happening anymore we'll get onto that in a bit but no it's good to have you back Salem I'm really happy that your shoulder's back as well um back to normal as well I'm glad to hear you're going back to football which is great um Next up, we've got Danny, obviously next up coaching. My guy, we've got him back again. I'm bugging him all year to be a regular on Friday Night Counter-Attack and we know what time um, it is today. We're going to be talking about West Ham, obviously, as well later on. Danny, good to see you, my friend. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. A uh, bit less now, we, and now you mentioned we're going to be talking about West Ham. Um, I mean, we could talk about how I battered you on FIFA, but yeah, we, yeah, we could talk about uh, it. You've got, you got to come over to the Twitch channel to be able to watch that next time. You've got to come over to the Twitch channel. But you no, were no. you were Norway and I was Morocco. Tell everyone the score what happened in that friendlies game. I was was it five five nil up? Uh, five nil up at half time. He was Norway, time. I was Morocco. Ended up winning six five, but I just took my foot off the pedal. You know, Haaland was just scoring too many goals. I just went, you know what, I'm just gonna relax for a little bit. And uh Hamza was was fighting back. And then uh, a little penalty got me the win, so yeah, I, I fouled too early. It wasn't great at all. It wasn't great at all. Um, but no, good to have you back on the podcast and looking forward to hearing what we've got um, going forward. And finally, we've got everyone's World Cup favourite co-host that we had. And yes, I, you are literally a favourite. Like even like my friends are like, who is the other Asian guy you got on the podcast? I was like, what's Salim? I was like, no, we know Salim, but who's the other guy? Suki. <laughs> so Suki, good to have you back. How are you doing, my friend? You are right? Yeah, I'm all good, bro. Stressing, stressing if you're, if you're a Spurs fan, so... Oh, and I can tell you that as well but uh, yeah we're in the mud at the moment so um, yeah I'm going to try and uh, limit what I say too much about that Spurs at the moment but yeah uh, all good it's all how good how are you there, mate? 
No, we're all good. Thank you very much for asking. Thank you, everyone, for joining the podcast today. Um, but yeah, before we get on to the main topic of conversation, we do have to mention about, obviously, the Brazilian great Pelé passing away recently as well. Recently having his funeral and his wake in um, Brazil, had to have the body flown over and everything as well. Um, just before we move on to the next part of the podcast, just I just want to hear everyone's thoughts. Salim, you go first on Pelé. What, what was your impression of Pelé, obviously, being from before your time and um, from what you really learned from Pele, um, for example, Salim. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was obviously up there as like the top two before there was Ronaldo and Messi about. I didn't obviously watch much of him in that sense, but obviously we know World Cup winner, multiple World Cup winner at that. Three times. And, um, I actually saw an interesting clip. Um, I think he was doing the rounds on Twitter that whatever your favourite player has done, Pele's already done it before and, you know, he had a Cruyff turn in it so, and he had all sorts of skills and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it just shows like how ahead of his time he was in that sense. And you have to remember like with these players that, you know, obviously retired before, like Maradona being one, like George Best being another one, like imagining them in today's era, it would have been completely different for them considering like the state of like the pictures, how they were before and the sports science and everything else. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to compare players from different eras, especially like that far behind today. But I mean, you know, recency bias plays a big part as well. But yeah, it would be it would have been amazing to have, you know, seen sort of these players like Maradona as well, alongside the players that we have today and see, you know, where where the benchmark and you know where, where the standings how the standings would be in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole um whole way of looking at it. People will compare FIFA stats and goals and assists and everything, but you will never end up knowing who would be the greatest players in different eras because every era is different. There's always going to be different. Uh, benchmarks and challenges as well like for example Pele scoring a thousand plus goals in his career unbelievable before he was the iconic number 10 in world football throughout world football which is crazy and obviously you know Messi coming on afterwards for Argentina number 10 for Barcelona as well unbelievable by what he's done as well so there's always going to be people who are trying to eclipse what Pele has done but like you said as well Salim the original kind of uh, greatest of all time in a way which is crazy Danny, I know you've disagreed in the past, but this is why I'm quite happy you're on the podcast. So let's see, let's hear your thoughts. Obviously, he's passed away, Pele, and uh, rest in peace. But um, do you have any 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 conflicting arguments to that? I think for me, it's it's a generation thing. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up watching Messi, and when whenever I was first introduced to, to Messi uh, in his Barcelona days, it was always like, oh, he's been that he's now the best since. Pele and Maradona and it's and it's always been that Pele and Maradona Messi and Ronaldo split and divides and I think it's it's been great to see the reaction of everyone on social media in the news I don't think there's there's been a bad word said about him and that's been that's been really good I know when obviously when Maradona passed unfortunately there was still stigma or um, unnecessary hate going towards him and his family and and the people around him and that sort of led to so some some divide online, but look for me, Pele as as a player, I never got to see. Um, we can talk about how statistics might be this rather than that, and they might have been swayed. He was playing against this type of player, this type of player, but you can only play who you were up against. And it's it reminds me a little bit of in basketball. There's the whole debate of Jordan versus LeBron, yeah, and and, and it's like well, or like even Bill Russell, who's got like the most rings. In, in NBA history and you can mention Magic Johnson as well and Larry Bird yeah. as well crazy players it's complete different eras, eras but the, the one thing you can't take away from them was they were the kings of that era they were the arrays of that of that era you can't take that away from from Pele everyone 
that played against him. And I, I relate back to Bobby Moore being being someone that I looked at and 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 played uh, and look, watched him play. They were always talking about how Bobby Moore was the greatest defender and Pele was the greatest attacker, and it was always that constant battle going back and forth. You, you can't deny it. Signed at San, signed by Santos at fifteen. In in this day and age, signing somewhere at fifteen is extremely rare. And and when they do sign at fifteen, and these so-called wonder kids, they're usually gone by the time they're nineteen. So for Pele to do that, his time continue to win World Cups at his young age, uh, dominate anything professional football-wise in his era, he's a legend, and I uh, hope his family are okay and able to help by the footballing world get through the process of grief and and yeah, just hoping everything's okay. But Pele, a legend. Uh, can't take anything away from that. He may not be the best of all time, in my opinion, but look, that's what football opinion's for. So, Definitely. And Suki, just to finish off as well, do you have any main memories from Pele from yourself as well that you've looked back on? Obviously not your own first-hand memories, but what kind of moments from Pele kind of stood out for you? Was it the fact that he's won three World Cups, one being at 17 years old in Sweden, which was incredible? Or were there yeah. any other things that kind of stood out for you um, from Pele's career amongst so yeah, many great things? Yeah, no, definitely. I'll keep it short. I mean, with those three World Cups that he's won, that's obviously levels ahead, kind of, when you think about it, you're playing the best in the world. But I think it was the first or the second World Cup where he nearly pretty much broke his leg and he yeah. carried on playing and he, and he took him towards glory. So you can think about what Danny's touching about, the pitches back then, the tackles that were coming flying in and the guys carrying on playing with kind of all sorts of injuries, right? So for him to win three World Cups kind of, kind of says it how it is, but... I mean, what what a player. And I think when you think about the number 10, the actual number, you always think of Pele. So, and obviously he was the first. So you kind of got to go based on that in terms of his kind of legendary status. So that's that's why I go based on it, yeah, with Pele. Absolutely. No, everyone, uh, nicely done with your words and nicely done talking about Pele as well. Um, very respectful and moving forward to the main part of the podcast, which is going to be quite fun for me because, I mean, it's a brand new year. We've got a brand new football season to look forward to from different parts of the world. Obviously, the Premier League is back in full swing halfway through as well. Um, essentially, watching Saudi Arabian League. Salim, I know you will be uh, watching Ronaldo off in, in, in Saudi Arabia, which would be good fun. Um, what do you mean? No, you are going to be watching him. I know for a fact you'll be watching him. Uh, I prefer Messi, to be honest. But Since when? You've never preferred Messi. You've always backed Ronaldo and you've got that on record. I've always said, I've checked checked the stats, yeah? I've always said that. I'm a, I'm a bigger Ronaldo fan, but Messi's a better player. Yeah, I've, I've always been that neutrally biased person. I've always gone, yeah, I've, I've loved Ronaldo when I was at Man United, but I always back both of them because they're fantastic players. But that's by the by. Literally, if anyone's watching Saudi Arabian football for Ronaldo... Um, Good for you. It's all going to be good. But we're obviously going to be talking about the Premier League for the rest of um, this segment. I'm going to be asking each of you to share one player from your own club who you're really looking forward to watching this season and maybe one young player from the rest of the Premier League that you're probably looking forward to watching um, this season as well. There's, there's some people that are just coming out um, from... I'm looking at that Mitoma guy from Brighton and he's an absolute superstar at the moment. The fact that he went to university beforehand and got a got a degree, a master's degree in football dribbling, which is crazy. The way he did that, which is unreal. And it became a professional footballer afterwards, which is unbelievable. Um, but no, um, Suki, let's start with you. Let's start with Tottenham Hotspur. Um, obviously, you had a really good start to the season Spurs-wise, and now you've kind of dropped off prior to the World Cup. 
I'm quite happy with that because it means that Harry Kane hopefully doesn't get Champions League football next season. He doesn't deserve it after how he missed the penalty against France. Um, but realistically speaking, what are you expecting from um, any of the young players that you've got coming forward um, for, from Tottenham? Was it Richarlison you're looking at? Brian Hill? Kulisevsky even? Who are you thinking, Suk? Yeah, I mean, we kind of discussed it before we jumped on the pod, but Richarlison for me kind of stand out. Again, I'm not too sure how he's going to play out now that he's had that kind of hamstring injury and it does sound like he, he tore it to pieces mm. just before the, that World Cup game for Brazil. So I'm hoping that we don't rush him back. We just give him enough time just to recover. But I think when you look at kind of our players, he's the kind of go-to for us. And you can tell we're missing someone like of his kind of calibre, uh, especially up front. We're just very bleak. We're a bit bland. So, yeah, I think for, for me, second half of the season, hopefully he comes back. I think that's one player for me that I'll, from, from a Tottenham point, that we're looking forward to watching. Uh, again, Kulaveski, I could put a shout out to him as well. We, but we kind of we already know after, after last year how, how good he is. But yeah, for, I think for me, Richarlison's kind of stand out. And I'm hoping he comes back recovered. And then obviously, sisters basing for AC Milan in the Champions League, boys. So, yeah, it should be, uh, that's my kind of player I would go for. What do you reckon? I think it's a good shout. It's just where do you fit him in the starting lineup? Do you put him on the left? Do you put him as a striker? Do you have to change the system entirely to fit Richarlison, Son, and Kane into the side? Yeah, this is it. And I think if you think about it, for all managers, and I think for all of us, you always want, to, as a manager, you want a selection dilemma, right? With all the players that you get at your disposal. So mm. for, for us, I mean, you look at Kane, he's deteriorating slowly. I mean, I've always said he's only got 0.25 of a leg because mm. of all the hamstring injuries, ankle injuries that he's got. He's super slow. We already know that. But in terms of having Kane sitting a bit deeper as a number 10 and then playing Richie up front, I think that would be levels. But then again, who do you drop? Do you take Sonna? Do you take Kulo out? Do you play 3-5-2? Do you play the 3-4-3 three, three that you, you always play anyway? So again, it's it's a, we obviously trust the manager to a degree. But again, we just need those kind of selections to then obviously play the best players who are who are in form as well. So I think if he was to come in, I'd, I'd start him as our number nine and then try and manoeuvre Kane just in that kind of midfield free, but just sitting just a tad bit deeper just to kind of work it. Danny, you had some confusing looks on you. What are you thinking? I just, I don't watch Spurs enough, but moving Kane for Richarlison, it just, it, it seems a little bit unorthodox. I think when you've got probably the, the best scoring or one of one of the best scorers in the Premier League and you want to try and drop him into that 10, like I know he drops back anyway naturally, but like just... I don't know. I think I think Richarlison is one of these players that's going to end up. Oh, he had a good World Cup, and it, and the World Cup being at the right time is just a lot, like just giving him that boost of hype. Do you know, I just I just don't see him. Oh, you don't you don't rate you don't rate him like that, no, Daddy. You don't uh, like, I, yeah. I still see him as as just like a, that player that was at Everton and and Tottenham have paid a little bit more money for. Like I know he's look, he's a he's a great player. He's a professional football player. He's mm. dead this time, but I think the hype and especially around like the social media trend of Brazilian players. I, think. <laughs> I, I I agree. To be honest, I think I think it's really overrated. I don't. Salem's never rated him. So, it's oh cool. mate, I can't I take that from you. Honestly, the, like, the, the, the way I see, it, I think he's so overrated. Like he's got the ego of like Cristiano, but like the talent of like Bonlo or something like that. But for me, like for me, you know what it is. Like, Where'd honestly, you come up with this stuff, Salem? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, but look, honestly, listen, listen. Kulusevski, he's he's a key player. I think I think he has to start he, even more than Son at the moment. I know he's been injured and stuff, Kulu, but he, he's amazing. What a talent. Like, he's for me, it'd be Kulu, Kane, and Son as that front three. Uh, Richarlison is a good, maybe a good backup option, but I don't think he's he's ready to be the key man yet. But yeah, Kulu, what, what a signing. Like, he's he transformed Spurs for me. Like, I just remember that Man City game, was it last season, 3 2? And, you know, yeah. 
proper run the show that day as well. And, you know, he's great on the counter. He's got loads of pace and delivery, like good delivery as well. So You only signed him last January, didn't you? Literally, yeah, last January, one year. Yeah, so, I mean, come on, for a player like that to hit the ground running as well, because he wasn't doing too well. He was at Juventus, wasn't he? And um, he was doing yeah. all right, I guess. But to come to, like, you know, such a difficult league and, you know, not just literally like a duck to water kind of thing. No, it makes sense, makes sense. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if Richarlison can stake a claim in this starting lineup for Spurs. Generally speaking, I don't think he will, but there's always rotation. There's always games coming up with Spurs as well. You know what it's like. You've got Champions League, you've got the exactly. FA Cup coming up as well. There will be a rotation. And if Harry Kane does deteriorate over the season, you never know. It could be a thing where Richarlison actually does become that striker that eclipses Harry Kane. Uh, but personally, I think he's going to be more of a left-handed side of player. If you put Son on the right, if you put Richarlison on the right, rotation between the wings is how I see it for Spurs and Antonio Conte. Um, Salah, just quickly, does it even yeah. matter? In just talking about Spurs, Talking about their striker situation when they don't have a midfield, when they don't have they don't have. When, a... when do Conte teams ever have midfield? They just lump it forward, or they'll just defend for their lives for a back five. It's, it's true. Nothing in the middle. It's just two midfielders. You know okay. so, yeah, I was going to ask, right? I was going to ask. You know, Skip. What was your opinion on him? Is he? Do, do um, you rate him? He's literally. He's like Winks. He's a poor man, Scott Parker. I've had enough of these regen Scott Parkers that we keep getting in. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I'm sick. I'm sick of it, man. That's why we've got Basuma and Saar just sitting there. Don't get it wrong, the system doesn't suit him, but fair enough, you're a player that gets paid, what, 50, 60 grand a week. You need to be playing every single system that you get given. But I mean, when you watch Skip, he'll run, he'll run his socks off, but then you've got Hoiberg, they're both like-for-like players. It's like, what's the fucking point? You need to kind of drive forward. And I think that's where we're stifled the most, is that when you watch Inter, when he had his 3-4-2, or sorry, 3-4-3 and his 3-5-2, the transition from centre-back all the way to attack was literally one, two, three passes, cutting through. But I mean, when you watch us, it's literally... Three centre-backs, pass the ball to Hoiberg, Hoiberg passes it back, pass it to Skip, Skip, pass it back. It gets boring after a while. So I think, for me, again, I, I, I'm sick of these Scott Parker regions, man. I, I'm, I've I think, had enough. I think um, Ben Tanko is quite a good player. I oh, quite, that's you baller, man. Yeah, I, I quite enjoy I enjoy watching him play. Like Even when I watch Spurs, if I watch highlights and stuff, whatever. I, I think he's he's quite lively. I quite enjoy watching him play. He's the only one that drives us. So when you look at it, at, at the two, you you always have like two midfielders. You want one kind of stepping back and one pushing forward, right? Benton Kompasuma is probably my favourite Spurs midfield, I would say, that you'd have. That's yeah, but the thing is, you can't discount Hoiberg because he does all the dirty work. He's there just just soaking it all up, taking those interceptions, passing it around. And I think with him and Ventacle, when they were playing together, you could see a bit of a partnership going on. Basuma, for me, again, I just don't think he's suited to this style of play in terms of this formation. I think he's more suited in that kind of 4 2 3 1. He needs an extra midfielder where he can also drive forward as well. He doesn't have to always exactly, sit at the back. Yeah. He's got too much energy to just sit at the back as well. Can always work onto the edge of the box as well. Overlapping runs and everything, which is great. Um, but yeah, nicely done with that. Uh, Salim, we'll go to you. Aston Villa, is there a player and not Morgan Sanson, for the love of God, Sam, not Morgan Sanson, that you're looking forward to hearing from or seeing from um, in 2023? Because Aston Villa got a, a few decent players coming forward with this, you know, Emery system as well. Yeah, no, just firstly, three, my guy, Morgan Sanson, you know. <laughs> We've yeah, been saying that for two years now, Salem. It's not happening. Three, three my guy, you know what I mean? But no. It's coming soon, it's coming soon. Morgan Sanson, masterclass, incoming. Coming soon, yeah. Now, for me, um, I don't know, we've, we've got a decent squad now. I think we do need to add a few players to it, but the one to watch probably is Kamara, the one that we signed in the summer. No, no idea how we pulled that one off, but... Of Absolute late, gem. We've been playing quite well in that double pivot with uh, Douglas Louis, so he's, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, for the rest of the season, I think for like 
fans of other teams and stuff. He's he's crucial to how we play, and um, I think like we need to build a squad around him. He's I agree. He's definitely someone that we spoke about previously as well. We spoke about it when we first started the podcast when he was at Marseille as well. I said he was a really good player. I said he was like a very French, he's like a French Declan Rice as well. Um, a lot of Villa fans agreed with us on YouTube, which was great at the same time. And then he got injured. Fortunately, he didn't make the France squad as well um, into that France team, unfortunately. But now he's come back from his injuries, looking great. He did really good yesterday against Wolves from what I saw as well. Um, really good against Spurs as well. I know Suki want to speak to you about Spurs later on, Spurs-Villa game. Um, but realistically speaking, I think uh, Bubakar Kamara is probably one of your best players in the squad right now, Salim. I think the fact that he's got so much in his in his locker straight away, so young, his interceptions, the fact that he used to be a centre-back now playing centre-defence in mid, he can let Douglas Luiz drive forward, he can let McGinn drive forward as well. He'll be able to actually work properly within this Unai Emery system. And he did really well at Villarreal as well with these deep line midfielders that he does really well. So Trigueiro had a really good time and Parejo had a really good time with Emery as manager. Yeah, that's what I was saying. And like, he's he's really press resistant. You know, like there'll be times in tight spaces, you know, two players around him and he's really good just keeping the ball. I think the one thing we did mention last Jan is like Villa really needed a defensive mid after, you know, Bissouma, Ben Tanko, there were so many players mentioned and the mm. board just said, you know, we want the right player and we'll wait. And, you know, we waited and we got the right player in the end. So, so I guess it's not always just about signing, you know, mediocre players, just stopgap players. Sometimes it, you know, works out just to wait that little bit longer, maybe six months or so and then getting the right one. Yeah, it's definitely worth the wait because I'm pretty sure, Sam, that your your player Bubakar Kamara will go for like his 40, 50 million for his next move if you were to sell him in the next two, three years as well, um, which would be great. Danny, let's hear it from you. West Ham United, not in the best of positions at the moment, but is there a player um, that you're looking forward to seeing a lot more from in 2023? Look, I, th- I think it's, it's, a, it's a tough time at uh, the London Stadium at the moment. I think people are calling the Moyes to, to to exit I've always said my opinion on Moyes I've always not been the, the biggest fan but look, I think he's got the, the right squad to do it I just think we've had a lot of injuries at the moment that have uh, maybe led to us um, not performing to the best of our ability we saw yesterday um, first start in a while Nayef Agwerd of Morocco mm-hmm. performed quite well with the World Cup when he when he was available um, that was the first time West, West Ham fans have actually seen him play, really, because he's been injured for the majority of the season. I think him coming back into the squads uh, helps a lot. But I, I just really hope that this is the year of either Declan Rice making a decision if he leaves or if he stays. He's given it the, the Mark Noble-esque captain talk at the moment in, in the press. And the way he's attempting to lift this team up, it's just, it's it's given us so much hope for then him to just go downhill again and, and, and leave and become that that villain story. I think he, he's got the whole team on his back at the moment. So if he was to leave, then that would leave a huge gap in, in that West Ham side that might not be fixable. Um, and then just, yeah, more, more players I don't want to see. I don't want to see Thomas Suchek anymore. Oh, wow. Uh, really? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> The recent recent performances, and I'm talking maybe the last four or five months, he's been every West Ham fan's his biggest pet peeve. Most importantly, because he's sitting next to Rice in that double pivot, where Paqueta is probably best suited for that role. And Moyes is attempting to push him forwards and forwards and forwards, where uh, Lucas has played literally in that holding like box-to-box midfielder role for the entire of his career at Lyon. Mm. And it's it's so frustrating to see a player with that much flair being chucked into random positions. And he's keeping Ben Rama out of the team, which I think is a travesty. I think dropping Ben Rama after dropping a performance like that against Arsenal, 
yeah, it's, it's a lot of struggle. I think if, if Declan Rice leaves, I think a lot of players will follow suit. Um, and it's led me to think like I'm actually more interested in in players outside of West Ham for this season, um, which I'm sure we'll get into at a later stage. So I've got those written down. But yeah, I want to see more of Aguered. Um, I want to see less of Thomas Suchek. Um, and I want to see our actual fitness and physio team do a job because at the moment we've got too many players out injured. It's starting to become an injured 11. Uh, but yeah, God knows. Probably the Christmas period that didn't help with the World Cup and everything, but too many yeah, players. definitely. Injured or or away from away from work, but yeah, I want to see Aguero a little bit more. It was all those little things as well, like literally coming back from the World Cup. Then three days later, the League Cup started straight away. Then five days later, the Premier League started straight away as well. It's just getting thick and fast back into uh, top league football as well, which was crazy to see. At least La Liga, Serie A, and League on they all had a break, at least another two week break after the World Cup, so they could relax, recover properly. And we had game after game after game in England, which. They never seem to learn, um, unfortunately, in the, in the Premier League. They're more about entertaining the fans than they are actually looking after the players, which is another topic entirely that we can all go into um, later on in the year as well. Um, but yeah, nicely done with that. I'd like to see a lot more of Aguero as well. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic player to watch um, in the Morocco side as well, as we've discussed previously. Um, but realistically speaking, Danny, where is his best position? Would it be left back or would it be left centre back? And then just kind of keeping out um, uh, Craig Dawson. It's, it's, it's got to be in, the, in a, in a centre-half position. Mm. Um, I think him with a, with a solid partner, not Tilo Keha, he can... He can disappear. <laughs> We're not talking about him. We don't need to talk about no, him. Please don't. I Disaster mean, class for Germany. He, when he played against Arsenal, he had like a solid 10 minutes of like, wow, he woke up feeling dangerous today. Mm. And then for the, the rest of the 80, it was, wow, Keha woke up dangerous. <laughs> Spun three times, zero out of three tackles, a yellow card... So I think you've got to put him in that centre-half position. I really want to see more of Emerson at left-back. Oh, OK. Uh, I, Creswell, for me, is, is a player which has done us a lot of service. And in the, in the style and shape that we, we used to play, uh, Creswell, to be able to bomb forward is, and whip balls into a, into a front man is, is always going to get you results. But now with Skamaka and Paketa in the team and Ben Rama, there's more flair. And I think Emerson matches that nicely. You put, I'm, you I'm looking forward out. to seeing a lot more Skamaka to be honest his goal yesterday against Leeds was fantastic I thought yeah. Yeah. it's going to lead the line for a good couple of years for uh, West Ham in my opinion I think I think Bowen's not playing up to the, the uh, standard that he should be at we've obviously got Maxwell Cornet on the injury bench that could play left back too um, so I think if you had Agued at left centre half and mm. then an attacking full back next to him just like Hakimi or Mazuari were for that Morocco team then I think we'd be really well off with him at centre half. And I think that's why we signed him. I don't think we signed him to be a fullback. Um, even though he's played there before, I think he's more of a, a centre half, maybe in a four or, or a three in a left centre half position. So Craig Dawson's done us wonders. And I think he, he should stay there until he can continue to do so. And we've just signed the Brazilian centre back too, Luis Al, which I want to see a little bit more of. Um, but I know he's going straight into the under 23s, unfortunately. So when he when he does decide, when Moyes does decide he's good enough for the for the first team, then we'll see him in that in that shirt. Luis Zhao is a region of the other Brazilian centre back Luis Zhao, who used to play for Benfica. Clearly, that's 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 talks of a region right there. It's definitely happened. Absolutely. It's definitely come back out. Yeah. Let's talk about Scott Parker regions. It's a Luis Zhao, Luis Zhao region, which has definitely happened. Danny, I was gonna ask, so like, you know, I I think West Ham got got a decent squad as well, but like this summer you added you know, two big names in Lucas Paqueta. He's somebody that I rate quite highly. Like, well, you lot did well to get that transfer done. I've not really seen much of Skamaka though, so I'm just wondering what your opinions are on, like, on them two, to be honest. 
he's so Paqueta is is one that unless he has the ball, unfortunately, just like anyone on the, on the pitch, he can't show off his talent. He's not one of these people that can draw draw the players out or go and fill in a hole. He'll get on the ball and he'll, he'll make things happen. So it's like an old-fashioned number 10, basically. Yeah, literally. But he, he plays a little bit deeper and he sits next to a, to a second centimetre or a third centimetre and allows the other players to get in those gaps. I think with Skamaka, what you've got to look at is, and I don't mean this in a, in a rude way or a derogatory way, he's, he seems to me like a very Italian striker. Very slow paced, very much. If I if I get on the ball and I and you give the ball to me, then I can make things work. And I think where at the moment all of our struggles are relying on defending, we're not able to give him that those moments of magic. And I think what the moments of magic we have seen are when he goes, yeah, give me the ball and I'll do something with it. Like we saw the goal yesterday. He scored a very similar goal a couple of weeks back when he was before the Christmas break as well. Just. Because against Palace at home, yeah, just picks the ball up on the edge of the box and then and then can find a bottom corner or can find a can find a top, and uh, and he, I think he's even chipped a goalkeeper before from from maybe the edge of the box or to at his feet. So he's not one of these players that's going to be that Mikel Antonio. He's going to run and run and run and go and get and go and graft and get results for you. He's going to have to expect this play to come to him and naturally in in the patterns. And I think that's where he may not look very good to the eye. And you may look at him after 60 minutes and he's got no goals, no assists and four key touches. And you go, well, what have you, what have you done? But in key games where we're just constantly defending as a, as a team, which is always going to be the underdog, you can't really give him the ball like that. And then, yeah, I think that's where his downfall is. But I think if we can get the ball to him, and I know that sounds really stupid to say, it's like, get, you know, like kicking and screaming, as if anyone's seen that film, get the ball to the Italians. Mm. Kicking and screaming, Will Ferrell, love it. So, so get the funny. ball to the Italians, or get the ball to the to the players that actually can produce things. Ben Rama, Bowen, Paqueta, and keep going through those players, and you're going to find results. And I think we're just too focused on. Oh no, we're going to concede at any given moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fun to see how West Ham do um, from an objective point of view. And just like we said, twelve months ago, we were predicting you for the top four and um, Europa League glory and. Look how fast things can change in a year. It's crazy to see how David. Moyes I still think we're going to do really well in the Conference League. I think that Conference League is up for the, is up for grabs. Mm. I think if any West Ham fan is looking at that now, going, "Oh, we should focus on the Premier League," I think they're stupid. I think winning the Conference League would do so much for a for a club like West Ham, especially with off with being a first trophy that you could potentially win. I mean, like semi final of the of the Europa League last year. Yeah, it's good, and you get yourself that 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 balance of, right, we've had a European experience. You've got to go and try and win something now and you've got the squad to do it. We've probably got the best squad in, in that conference league from from what I've seen and, and from what... We, we ran through our group stage. We were even playing our babies, our under-18s at one point and we still won against Stoa Bucharest and other teams like that. So, the unfortunate Spurs couldn't do anything in it though. So Hey, listen, we got kicked out on a technicality. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, I, was, I had a ticket to that game as well to Ren and, and I got a refund, so... I don't know what to say on that one. <laughs> I'm just happy you got a refund. Some people only give refunds for those little things. It's crazy. Oh, that is literally 15 quid for a ticket, man. So I'm not really stressing too much, man. Not too bad in France. It's not too bad at all. It right? like, listen, it could be worse. It could be an Arsenal team that cancelled a game because of COVID when they only, they only had one case. So Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Arsenal do anything to win. That's what they do these That's days, it, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, on, on to me. So my I'll go for my player to watch this season. I'll go straight to my young player to watch this season as well. Um, straight up, Marcus Rashford has got to be the guy for me to look at. 
Um, with Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, who's just left Manchester United to go to Saudi Arabia, as we alluded to earlier. Um, there is a spot for the next main man at Manchester United, the next star boy at Manchester United, the next fan's favourite at Manchester United as well. People side with Bruno Fernandes, some people start will side with Casemiro, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Marcus Rashford, if there's ever a time for Marcus Rashford to shine, it's the next six months that he has in this season. Bar an injury, he has to be the man that makes things happen, that makes things tick for Manchester United as well. But going through some of his stats that we've got already, 17 Premier League appearances, seven goals, three assists in the Carabao Cup as well, two appearances, two goals as well. The Europa League, four appearances, three goals and one assist as well with a game coming tomorrow against Everton at the time of recording. Realistically speaking, I've never seen a, a turnaround from Marcus Rashford in a player at Old Trafford, uh, like Marcus Rashford, I should say, since when Eric Ten Hag came in as manager. And I've been really happy to see what Eric Ten Hag has done with Marcus Rashford and a lot of other players, to be fair, as well. There's talks of how well Aaron Wan-Bissaka has done since he's come back from his injury and how well he's actually done. It's quite surprising how he's been such a solid defender so far, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. But beside the point, um, he has got a really solid foundation, Eric Ten Hag, to work with his team. And I think Marcus Rashford has to be um, the main attacker in this in attack so far as well. We're probably going to look for a striker on loan or a cheap striker in January. If we can't get that, we do have to rely on our wingers because I, for one, I've never really relied on Anthony Martial. As all of you guys kind of know, I like him, but you can't hang your hat on him. He's never going to be or is never going to be the main man at Manchester United. He's always going to be a second striker or a bench player. Unfortunately, that's the case. But Marcus Rashford, he can definitely make that left-wing position as well, especially with um, younger players coming through. You've got someone like Jadon Sancho who's yet to come back into the starting lineup, who I predicted at the start of the season would work really well under Ericsson Hogg. And it hasn't worked for uh, Jadon Sancho, unfortunately. He got obviously kicked out of the England side, didn't really do well in the Man United um, start of the season that he had as well. But... I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think Marcus Rashford can be the main man at Manchester United? Can he be the first uh, man since Romelu Lukaku, I think, to break 25 goals in a Premier League season? Uh, Suki, we'll go with you first. What do you think? I mean, oh, of course, mate. I mean, you look at you look at a kind of at and I player that can play that inverted role, play up front as well. When you look at him when he was at the under-23s as well, he was, he, was just, he was just scoring an abundance of goals. And then he's kind of taken that and progressively, if you, if you look at kind of his body type as well, he's bulked up. So he looks a lot more strong on the ball, running those channels. And I mean, when you, when it comes to shooting, bar none, he's got he's got a powerful strike, right? And I think now he's just fine tuning that that fitness, keeping himself injury free, burying those kind of goals into the corners where he should be doing it. And I think he's reaping the rewards now. And I think um, I think last season it was a bit topsy turvy for him. Now that he's had that little break where he's kind of refocused and kind of re-energized himself. He's obviously coming into form, and I think at the moment he's your savior because if he didn't score that goal against Wolves, that would have been a nil-nil. And I think there was a couple of games back before that where he's kind of scored the winners as well, where he's he's become like your star-studded man. And I think again, you can't rest your laurels on Martial. I think that kind of that boat sailed now. So I think if you look at Rashford, you've kind of got to build within where he is. But again, it's an open question to you, Hams. Where, where do you play him now? Do you keep playing him on the left? Do you play him through the middle? Realistically speaking, ideally, I'd like to see him play through the middle. I'd like to see a front three going forward of Garnacho on the left, who I'll talk about later as my young player to watch, uh, Marcus Rashford in the middle and Antonio on the right-hand side with Jadon Sancho and Facundo Pellistri coming back into the squad as well because um, a lot of people, even Man United fans, we haven't seen Facundo Pellistri play a Premier League League Cup or any game for Man United besides an under-23 game. And he was very good for Uruguay in that very poor Uruguay side at the World Cup as well. He's always bringing 
plays into play. He was very good as a as a wide winger going forward as well from the right wing. So we've got options available. There's talks of Anthony Alanga going out on loan and I'd like to see that because he needs regular game times as a starter. I'd rather see him at like Southampton or Everton, somewhere like that respectively, but um, we'll see where that goes. But realistically speaking, we can't rely on like we said, Anthony Marshall, because his fitness is always a doubt as well. So when he does get a couple games going, the other day against um, uh, Bournemouth, he got subbed off because he was injured as well. So we can't rely upon that as well. And if it, and just like Salim said as well, maybe we do have to wait the six months to see if we can just wait for the summer to get new players coming in as well. Maybe a proper striker in the summer as well. Someone like an Oshimen, someone like a, a Patrick Schick. Outside choice for me, El Nasiri. Um, from Seville, uh, the Morocco strike, I think it would be a decent backup strike. And Ericsson Hug does work wonders um, with with players kind of not... It's like I think it's on the cusp, the term that we've used before, on the cusp of becoming a, a really good striker um, as well. But what do you guys think? Do you think Rashford's better as a striker or as a left winger? Um, Salem, what do you think? I'm not I'm not too sure, to be honest. But like you're just saying, it's, it's nice to see him hit these, these levels because when he came through... Initially, he was he was really good, and then you know he fell off a bit. It became a bit frustrating. I think injuries have probably played a part. Like he's probably had a couple of like recurring injuries that have not allowed him to play you know at his best. And being like you know a quick player, sprinter, you know especially I guess like the hamstring problems or whatever he's been having obviously limited him. But I feel like I think the main thing for him is I understand he's quite versatile, but it'd be good if he could just nail one position down and then just keep working on that. I think that's probably. Better shout, but it just depends what Ten Hag sees. If he sees him as a striker or a left winger, for me, like he can do either, you know. And he does him quite well. He can play anywhere in that front three. But yeah, it's like I said, if United want an out-and-out striker, then Rashford becomes, you know, that left winger. I think the main thing for him now is just to remain consistent and you know try to stay injury-free. And it doesn't even mean that he has to play like ninety minutes of every game. You know, sometimes maybe limit some of that playing time just to you know give him a better season in that sense. Absolutely. Utilise the five-sub rule, basically. If we're winning 3-0, 70 minutes, sub him off, arrest him for the next game. Needs to be done as well. And Danny, what do you think about Marcus Rashford? Do you think he has it in him to stay consistent for the rest of the season? Yeah, that's my only worry. Um, I look at his previous seasons at, at Man United and I've got the stats up here. So this season, 17 games, seven goals, three assists, as, as I think you mentioned before. Last season, 25 games, four goals, two assists. And I know that obviously different managers, different systems potentially, and obviously different things going on. During different life. haircut as well. He had the yeah. blonde in his hair. Once he got rid of the blonde in his hair, he was back to his normal self, which was great to see. Just like that's how, he got back, that's how he got back into the England squad, getting rid of the blonde in his hair. That's my theory for Marcus Rashford. Foden did the, should have done the same if he wanted to be in <laughs> the England squad. The previous season before that, 31 games, 17 goals and, and seven assists. And it's, can he continuously hit those numbers? It's un, unfortunately due to his age and he's only 25. I thought he was a lot, maybe just a year old or two years older than that. So 25 is still considered pretty young in terms of a striker. He's got another 10, 12 seasons in him. Um, do we know if he's going to be able to do that? Probably not. Um, you've got to trust him at this point. I don't think you're going to be able to pick up any striker during the January transfer window. Um, or if you do, it will be like a Radamel Falcao type player where he just comes in and gets the occasional goal off the bench and and Man United fans and and, and the media are, are very happy about it. I yeah, mean, a Garlo type. That's what we're expecting yeah. to be fair. If, you, if you're looking at Oshimen and, and Sheik, you're going to pay a lot of money. I, I think the, the way that... Uh, definitely for the summer, I was saying as well. I definitely yeah. think they're going to come in the summer. One of them. Not one of them, but what a, a type of player like that would come in the summer. The way that Napoli fans actually rate Oshimen as a player, and I think you've, you've mentioned before how Schick is doing it at Leverkusen, 
I don't I don't know what striker you sign. And that's that's the the struggle I have with Man United. I think either you've got to produce something again, like produce another Rashford. I mean, you, you spoke about uh, your youth players in, in the wider areas, but who do you bring in? I, I don't, I think if you lay down 50 to 60 million, I think Napoli say no, mm. because they know that they can't replace him. I think if you lay down, I don't think it'll be more than that, but less than that, say 40 million for Schick, I think Leverkusen say no. I don't know what they paid for him. So like there's, I don't think there's, there's such a lack of of clinical strikers in this in this world currently that people are having to put wingers up top to be able to produce goals. Cody Gapko will be a prime example for Liverpool when he starts playing as well. Winger turned into a striker. The Netherlands did that. PSV had done that, and Liverpool will do that as well because Darwin Nunes can't finish his dinner at all, uh, which is crazy. When you when you think of, of of strikers like the what the the ones the best ones in the world, Haaland is obviously. Hot property, he's not leaving, and Mbappe's even said to me, like, look, I'm, I just control everything right now. Mbappe controls everything. Mm. I, I can't name you another three to five, another five set of strikers that would be able to be a, a available, yeah, a, availability of, of of to Man United. I think that's Chelsea. You see, Chelsea have struggled with it at the moment. Chelsea have got all this money, but they don't know what to do with it, and and now they're looking at improving. With, I mean, they're trying to take Mudrick out of Arsenal's hands. Um, to try and put them off. There's, I don't think there's no, there's, there's not a known number nine that is available right now in the world. Harry Kane, Man United, could that be a thing? I think that's no, that's probably the best. That's probably the most viable option if that, Tottenham don't get any sort of European football. Man City have got their striker. I don't think you'd go to Chelsea. I think Man United could be a fresh start for him, and and, it, and he could try and live up to the name of Rooney or the name of Van Persie and see what he did when he was at Arsenal when he left to go to Man United and, and get the result that way. I think that's probably Harry Kane's best move. Be the missing piece in that puzzle potentially as well. That's, that's talk we've had for a good number of years of Harry Kane moving, where would he move to? But potentially that could be, it could be his last season at Spurs, but potentially it could be Marcus Rashford's last uh, full season at Man United. You never know because he's still got contract issues to deal with as well um, going forward. Imagine a, swap deal. Imagine a swap deal plus some cash. Would you take that, Suki? Rashford for, K- uh, for Kane. Oh, Rashford. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, I'll yeah. Take, I, if, I, if I can get someone that can run, yeah, happy days, man. <laughs> I he's, think you'd be silly not to take that, especially oh, yeah, with our system. Yeah, for his age as well, 25, and, and you can you can score, I'd, I'd happily take him, man. But I, just, yeah. I don't think he goes to United. I reckon he'll, he'll end up at Liverpool this summer. I reckon okay. they'll splurge it Yeah, I reckon they'll splurge it out because, look, they're yeah. struggling. Nunes plays that, again, that left inverted role. They don't mm. have that kind of systematic striker that plays through the middle and I think he'd be perfect for their system and again look they're struggling through the middle to be creative so I think that might be their missing uh, puzzle depends if Klopp stays for example you never know you might get sacked yeah so, it's true you never know with factors. Liverpool and their new owners as well which is crazy I mean another striker you can think of is like Gonzalo Ramos from Benfica but you don't always want to be thinking of World Cup superstars and they may not have it in them um, going forward as well which should be crazy no, good chat, everyone. But before Salim leaves, I know you have to leave now, Salim. Um, who's one young player from the Premier League that you're looking forward to watching this year in 2023? I've got one. I've got one. And I think it's probably the most obvious. Rico Lewis. Is it Rico Lewis? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah that's Rico right. Lewis. What a player he is, is going to become. Like Pushing all these superstars out of the team uh, in a system like that, I think he's got abundance of talent at 18. I think he will be in and around that England squad the next time the World Cup rolls around. What is it with England and fullbacks? 
they just they just develop right off the con off the conveyor line, and it's great to see. But it's just fullbacks, fullbacks, fullbacks. I wish they did centre mid, centre mid, centre mid, or striker, striker, striker. That'd be so sick with what they do as well. But Rico Lewis, um, Manchester City fullback as well, wearing number eighty-seven. I think he was wearing something like that. Um, but fantastic young player to watch. That yeah. sell shirts. If he's got like, a number, then people are going to be like, "Look, this is like so when Trent was uh, sixty-six, wasn't he?" Still is. Yeah, no, than forty-seven. All I see is all these weird numbers, and I think that that's going to be his thing. I think so. Yeah, Rico Lewis is mine, hundred percent. Nicely done, nicely done. Salim, who are you thinking? Danny's giving you some thinking time as well, so you can pick uh, any young player. Honestly, I don't know. Like one person I've enjoyed watching was Garnacho. Uh, you can see he's obviously come through, but. Yeah, he's, he's one. I mean, you enjoyed watching Garnacho firsthand at Old Trafford um, when you. Yeah, saw... no, no. I, I, I thought he was a really good player. I thought, like, mm. he, um, you know, he, he he drags players with him. You know that like, he's really good on the ball. But you know, there's still talk. Like, I still want Jacob Ramsey to make that Euro squad uh, in 2024. But yeah, for me, he's probably gonna have to be. I know he's, he's already broken through, but I, I just want to see Garnacho have like a consistent run of games and and not just like play well, but like drop good numbers as well. You know, get some goals and assists with it. He's, he's averaged a goal and assist every 90 minutes um, from, yeah. the, from the bench. Has done really well so far, Garnacho. Uh, assisted the other day as well. It's fantastic to see how he did. Um, I think he scored in um he scored in one he scored, scored in the Fulham game, the Premier League game as well, which is good. A last minute winner. So that was really nice to see. And Man United fans have already got a Viva Garnacho chant replacing Viva Ronaldo um, as a chant as well. So that was really good to, to sing the other day on Tuesday. So I'm really happy about Garnacho and I think it's going to be a bright young player. For him to keep out Sancho like he did when he was in the squad, keeping up Elanga, Pellistri, even moving out Martial as well to change the system is really good to see how well Garnacho has done um, going forward. But, uh, yeah, one... I just had a quick question for Suki before I go. Um, yeah. I know like, obviously it's nice to talk to a Spurs fan first time. I know it's completely irrelevant but you've mentioned Champions League and stuff a lot and Harry Kane and this and that. If you could go back and bring Poch back, or would you bring Poch back tomorrow, would you do it or not? Oof, how no, how what? no. Oh. Why? Nah, nah. I don't know what it is with people that think they can bring managers back for a second stint. No, but like, as in like, if, if, Poch, if Poch was available tomorrow and says... If he became available, nah, I, I, again, I wouldn't do it because really? the thing is, when you look at it, I don't know if you know about this, you know when we, when we had the Champions League final that summer, he did. The reason why he got sacked is because he never turned up to training. He w- he would never come. He did. That was the manager. Yeah, he, he was a broken man. That's why I, I kept saying to people when he was at PSG, they were like, "Oh, he's going to do bits. He's going to do a Champions League run." I was like, "Mate, he's not going to know how to manage those four big players like Neymar and Mbappe." And I goes, "It's it's always, it's just going to end in a messy divorce, right?" So I just said, "He's a broken man completely." I think he probably needs about a good five years sabbatical before he even comes back into football. And start off with like Tivet. I reckon he could be at Villa, you know. After Emery, you never uh, know. But got, I would never. We're, I wouldn't. We're happy now. I, I'll be honest. I was dying for Poch at the time. Like I was like every yeah. day, Poch this, Poch this. But now after we've got Unai and I've seen him work, and you know he's a perfect fit. To be honest. But yeah, anyway, I need to head off. So I'll catch up with you guys again sometime soon. Hopefully. Nice, you've done, Salim. Take no, care. Just, Take care of your shoulder at football. Don't injure it again, for the love uh, of God, it's, please. It's gone. I've, I've got like no, like, there's no joints there anyway. I ruptured them, so it, it can't oh get injured God. again. It's, it's fine. But yeah, take care, guys. Go on, Suki. One young player from the Premier League you're looking forward to seeing this year, this calendar year. Who's it going to be? We've had Rico Lewis, we've had Garnacho. Um, who are you thinking? But to be fair, I thought Salim was going to talk about Chuck Pemeka, the Chelsea player that went from Aston Villa, but uh, not the yeah. case. 
Mm. <laughs> but what's it? What's it, Adrian? Because I think the guy that I'm want to discuss, I think he's 22 or 23. Did yeah, it's fine. It's the, yeah, I yeah. that young. It's cool. You you might have to you might have to Google this one for me because I don't know his actual age. But it's uh, you know Nunes for Wolves, the midfielder. Yeah, Mateus Nunes. That's it. What a player, man. I mean, that United game, for example, but I've, even, I've even watched him in the first half of the season. I like midfielders that look forward. He's 24, like, by the way. It, uh, we'll take it. We'll take I'll it. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's all good. I mean, he's, he plays... He's still young, though. That's the, that's the main thing. Like, he's mm. not like... Like, we're not talking wonder kids. We're just talking young, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought I'd just test it out, see what the uh, what the age range was, the filter. But, I mean, when I, when I look at midfielders... Wage. That's it, man. I, 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 like, I like midfielders that look forward... When you when you look at players like especially when Matic was at Chelsea and United, mm. every time he had the ball, he was never doing the sideway passes. He's looking for that killer pass. And I think when you watch Nunes, he's got that aspect of dribbling. He can beat a man, and then he's looking for that killer pass in the final third. And I think that's one player to watch out for. And I think he's been linked actually to Liverpool because we know they're struggling for a midfielder straight away. He's only been he's only been there six months as well, which is crazy. Six months, you know what I mean? And I think we we've got a good player on our hands in the league. But I think again it, it goes up to discussion where where does he end up at the end of the season? I think he does he does leave Wolves at the end of the season. But again, he's whoever forks out the 40, 50 mil, and I think Liverpool again will probably be that team. But uh, yeah, what my young player to watch definitely because the way that he transitions from from the middle to get forward is absolutely beautiful. Nice. I think he's the uh the Bellingham backup plan for Liverpool. Yeah, that's a shout. That is that is a good yeah. shout. I think if they if they're not looking to to splash the hundred million on on a Jude um, or an Enzo Fernandez, yeah, no, I, I'm not a huge fan of Enzo Fernandez. I think I think Nunez probably does better in that squad, and he would be that. I mean, they were always looking at. I mean, I remember years ago they were looking at Jaume Patino and Ruben Neves, like they were looking at that type of player. And just and talk about re- regions. He's probably enough of a region, and I, I don't know. Ruben Neves is uh, is maybe like younger, older, but he's like twenty six. He's not too yeah. Old. He's just another one of these Portuguese midfielders that's able to find the pass, find the goal, bring the ball forward, but also keep that composure in the midfield. And I think yeah, I think whenever I saw that transfer lined up, I went, well, that's just a plan B for for Bellingham, really, isn't it? Mm. In case these really? new owners come in and they want to go straight out from Jude Bellingham, it would be crazy to see how. Uh, oh, they will. They will. They want to make a statement. They want to make a statement. You mentioned the Harry Kane thing. I think Harry Kane could also be that person just trying to recoup all the losses of uh, of Mane and, and the Salah form. Yeah. But, do you know what I mean? I think they, they've got to go for Jude Bellingham. If, if him and Jordan Henderson have got this relationship that can can hold down a midfield and you've got Thiago, Naby Keita, uh, Curtis Jones... All of these players that can some sort of rotate rounds. I'm not going to mention Oxlade Chamberlain because I think he's done out. But yeah, he's shot out right now. Oxlade Chamberlain. He's, he's had his time. He's had his injuries. Unfortunately, he's just not good, cut out for the top level anymore. But fair play to him. He's been a very good sort of player. He's, I think he's hit 100 appearances for Liverpool or something in the Premier League the other day, which is good for him. Um, I would love to see him go to Italy or go to go, or, go, or go to France and try and see what he can do over there and just try and see if he can finish his career on a high. I know you've got the Deli Alley situation, obviously finishing your career on a low that was uh, very funny and it's not even career's not even ended. it's what 26 and he's getting subbed 25, off and 25 still yeah 25 they're sending, they're sending him back to Everton I've got a question for Danny though but if you're Bellingham now and you come to this summer and you've got two choices like Liverpool and Madrid who do you go with? Uh, either choice I think he's I think he's he's going to smash it I think because the only concern for for Belling would be if he goes to Madrid 
and he doesn't recoup the same form or he doesn't have the same form or, or lives up to the hype because he's he's replacing Modric and uh, and Cruz. Yeah, he's he's in there to to work with Camavinga and Chouameni and become that midfield three and Valverde as well. Yeah, because he's not in England, does that push him out of the England squad if he doesn't perform well over there? If he's if he's a rotation player for Real Madrid and he's being pushed out the team by players that are better than him week in week out, does the England manager go, well, you're not playing football. Because at Liverpool, even if he's playing badly, he's going to be played. Do you know what I mean? Because they they need him. They're desperate for him. But where you look at that Real Madrid midfield and the money that Real Madrid have disposable, I mean, we I wanted to talk, I wanted to talk about Endrick if we've got a time to do it. If if they've got the money disposable where they can find this Brazilian uh, living in living in uh, Palmeiras or Sao Paulo and they just come and pick him up and he becomes this next player. Florentino he, Perez with the net just catching them all. Literally, as he does. Is is Bellingham just another player or is he the one that's going to become the player, the franchise player um, of Liverpool? I think he becomes a franchise player at Liverpool. I think he becomes one of one of many at Real Madrid. That's always the case with Real Madrid, though. Their midfield players, besides Zidane and Figo, have always just been another player. Cruz and Modric have been unbelievable. Uh, happy birthday, Tony Cruz, by the way. Uh, it is your birthday. I still think you're an amazing midfielder. But they were never, they were never, even Casemiro, to be fair, they were never, and, and Xabi Alonso, I can go, the list goes on. They were always in the shadow of Ronaldo, Bale, Benzema, um, to an extent. And it's always going to be the attackers at Real Madrid that will get the hype over the midfielders. Unless, unless, yeah, unless it's someone special. And we consider... Yeah. He's got a Ballon d'Or. 100%. No, I, think, I think if he doesn't come... I think if that Croatia performance doesn't happen and they get knocked out in the first round, I don't think that Ballon d'Or exists. Yeah. Really, like you, you mentioned, Ham's like oh, one of many, and then you mentioned these players that are phenomenal players. Like when Casemiro has come to Man United, and everyone's like, eh, I haven't really seen much of Casemiro. Yes, he's won his trophies, and he literally pops into your team, and he's ne- the next best thing. Tony Cruz for Germany in that last World Cup, despite the uh, the one in Russia, the, despite the early exit again, amazing free kick was was one of the best players in that German national side. Mm. You you can look at these things like even Valverde. Valverde is 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 such a good player, and he can play on the right. He can play in the midfield. I just think Bellingham needs to be a standout player. With the way his career path is going, he can't afford just to be like oh, I'm just going to go and win trophies and and go and and go and just live my life out in Spain, find a nice chica and just live it out. I think he needs to be in the sticks. I think he needs to be in the trenches at Liverpool, trying to grind that team and trying to help that team get a, get a Premier League. Yeah, honestly, it would suit his career path a lot more by having these trials and tribulations as well to help him grow as a player as well. If his use of success, he can be more of an assertive force in the dressing room, which would be great as well. But if he has these setbacks as well, he has to get used to winning the hard way. And I think that would work really well. He's had that Bruce Dortmund already. He's suffered with England twice um, at the Euros and at the World Cup respectively. So um, it's going to be crazy to see how Jude Bellingham's career will go going forward as well. He's just a whole podcast on Jude Bellingham over the next couple of weeks. He can well. go to Madrid at the end of his career or like later in his career. He can uh, go to are you, Madrid. Are you saying we should have one more move then, Real Madrid? They should I have think, the I Premier League move then. I think Liverpool will solidify himself as as one of the greatest midfielders of that team and of the Premier League, one of the greatest midfielders in the world. And then you go, right, thank you very much, Liverpool. I've won my, let's say they win a Champions League and, and two Premier Leagues over seven seasons. He's he's 29, 28, 29. Okay, I'll I'll go to Real Madrid and I'll go and you know Mbappe's probably there living it up and 
I'll go and work with some of the best players in the world. And you have that, you have that Man United to Real Madrid Ronaldo move as such, mm. where yes, he was Ronaldo solidified himself as one of the greatest players of his generation, and then continued to push himself to a higher standard by being like, you know what, I've done it in Germany better for Bellingham. I've done it in Germany, I've done it in England, and now I'm gonna go and do it in Spain too. No, it needs to be done. We'll see how it goes, but obviously not at Liverpool. I need him at Man United. It needs to be done at Man United. <laughs> Imagine him and Casemiro in the midfield. It'd be so, so sick. So sick. If you get these new owners in from Man United, if you get these Saudi owners in, it'd be so good to have Bellingham as our marquee signing. Um, but no, um, my young player, who is my young player? It's not Granacho because Salem's picked Granacho. I'm going to go for um, Elise from Crystal Palace. I think he's been fantastic this season so far as well under Patrick Vieira. Um, Crystal Palace have really solidified themselves as a proper Premier League team and a and a threat at different games as well, not against um, Suki Spurs the other day, but they're still a threat in different games going forward. And I'm really happy with how Michael Lise has actually been linked this week to PSG. Yes, PSG are looking at Michael Elise. Mbappe wants Elise at PSG. How crazy is that? I think no it's, way. I think it's, yeah, nine million pounds he's, apparently. He's French, isn't he? He's French, isn't he? He's French, yeah. 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 Which, which academy did he play for? Uh, it, it, I think he grew up in the championship as well, to be fair. Oh, yeah, Reading. At Reading. Under 18s oh. at Reading, yeah, yeah. If if Elise follows that move to PSG, and just, just like his teammate, I think he ends up like Wilfred Zaha. Mm. I genuinely think he is following the same path with his personality, his, his gamesmanship, his showmanship as Wilfred Zaha. I mean, I've seen countless interviews about how people think he's an absolute arsehole. Um, within the squad <laughs> mm. I think he needs to humble himself a little bit and I think a move to pitch he has a lot of arrogance in his game which is crazy it, yeah. sh- it shines out well not shines but it comes out straight away his arrogance as well which is crazy I think I think if he moves to PSG that would not be very good for his head and and you can go through countless moves of of players that have moved to bigger clubs at young ages and and they think they're, they're now the next best thing like he's not he's not walking into that PSG side do you know what I mean you become you become his, one of his French like, Cup sub um sub. That's what he's doing. He's not he's right. being a sub in the in the league as well. Crazy. Uh, yeah. I, I, I still I think I don't think he's gonna go, but there's there's strong rumors of him being linked with this nine million pound move. But they I need really think like that, don't they? PSG they 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 need a because I mean who are they who are they bringing off the bench at the moment? A Sarabia or or, or Carlos Soler? Like yeah. they need they need someone that's going to be able to bring flair and. An attack. I think they should probably look at the the French um, attacker for Eintracht Frankfurt and um, Colo Moani. Colo Moani. I think if they're looking for a French attacker, I think he's probably the one that you got to look at. I think he'd work really well because he worked well with Mbappe. Um, clearly not in the World Cup final where Colo Moani could have passed Mbappe and said he could have sweated up for a World Cup final finish. But wasn't the case? Striker hands. Is striker a striker? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sad Salim left before we talked about this bit because obviously Emmy Martinez and whatnot but no it was, it was, it was really good to see how Carlo Moani's done so far for Frankfurt won the Europa League last season as well um, realistically speaking if, if Carlo Moani goes to PSG Mbappe's no longer going to be the main striker and he actually can play three as a winger like he like he likes to like he wants to which would be the main thing and Maybe the manager has to change the system as well. Um, that suits him as well. But Neymar in the ten with an actual designated striker. Of, oh, that would be insane. Be well, Messi Mbappe, be, isn't he? But Messi ten, Neymar, Neymar left, Mbappe right, Colo Mani up top, all working around them. Crazy hours. It would be crazy hours indeed. <laughs> just, just quickly, I, I want to talk about it because it's it's on my mind and I've written it down. Has anyone yeah. seen this Endrick play 
before we before we see him play for Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen him play. You never seen him play? No, on your on your like, YouTube, match, and that That's, was it. Yeah, there was like there was like clips. You know, like when remember when Neymar was at Santos and they do those little clips, kind of like TikToks if you think about it. I think yeah, yeah. Back, right? I've, that's what I meant. I've seen that, but I can't say I've seen like ninety minutes of him play or forty-five minutes or a proper game of him play. So like, you see the best bits of a play when you see clips, and you're like, "Oh wow, it looks sick!" But yeah, well, I mean, he's sixteen. If he's and he, whenever whenever the the clips are watched, he's always skinning a lot of the fullbacks. But again, I know it's the Brazilian league, but again, it depends on his development because when you look at his size, and Danny, you've probably seen the size of him. He's not he's the tiny. biggest. He's tiny, yeah. So I think you got to give him the years. And I think what that's clever what Ramadan did, did with Vinicius. They allowed him the time to kind of integrate, kept him as a bench rotation player, then got him kind of built up to where he is now. And obviously he's physically stronger. And obviously he's doing quite well. And you you look at kind of Endrick, you're thinking there's a similar, similar path line of what Vinicius has done. But again, the clips I've seen him, he's just been skinning these kind of 30-year-old right backs that probably live in the favelas. So yeah, <laughs> he looks all right. He looks part all right. of the part of a cartel, you'd imagine as well, if they live in the favela still. I I really like Rodrigo, um, and oh, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know if yeah. anyone's seen his goal from yesterday. I know it was in the cup, mm. um, but he's rounded about four players and he's sort of finessed it across the goalie. And I think he was not used enough at the World Cup to what he could he could have been done for his potential. I did a scout report on him as well. Um, against Cameroon when he was playing as a number 10 I was like that's definitely not his position he shouldn't have been played as a number 10 play him as a winger that's where we're going to get the best of Rodrigo and unfortunately what you remember from Rodrigo in the World Cup is unfortunately his penalty miss which is the worst thing possible as well so it's really sad to see that's how he had to kind of deal with um, Brazil getting knocked out being a bench player and then being the one that missed the penalty um, against Croatia which ruled them out of an Argentina versus uh, Brazil semi-final in the World Cup uh, which is crazy but yeah, just to round it off, we talked about Garnacho, we talked about Elise, we talked about uh, Rico Lewis and Suki, we talked about Nunes, Mateus, Nunes. Nicely done. Let's, 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 as I say this all the time, let's look back in a year's time and see if we get any of these right as, as good players to watch out for as well. Because we did it last year, Salim and I, we looked like we were so off with it. It's crazy. Who, who, so, who were your players? Our players, we, we spoke, I spoke about Mason Greenwood, man. That's why I spoke to Danny about Mason Greenwood <laughs> earlier today. And I was like, it's been a year. And then like, I think two days after we, we did the podcast, he had his thing, his trial thing. And we're like, oh my oh, days, man, yeah. this is this is not the one. This is not what we wanted to hear. And the podcast had already been put out. So like, damn it, people are already saying these things. And I was going on about him scoring against Wolves and young boys. And oh, I was doing really well. He's going to do well in the Ragnick. Didn't happen, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And fine. So hold on, hold on. You can delete this off the off the recording if you need to. You know what I was talking to you about earlier? Yeah. So it's actually true. So apparently he's been uh the the his girlfriend has uh withdrawn her case. Oh, okay. From court, which would make him an innocent man. Um and apparently he's training behind closed doors at Man United um as we speak and he could be and he could be back in the squad within two or three weeks that's, oh, that's no way yeah that's what the report also something was a bit off where i think she was she was going to drop the case because obviously the dad put a really cryptic message when he got sent down mm. and then thought, he wanted what, the money he wanted the page yeah. that the dad did well the thing is it's been a year and a half so you're thinking his career is over now you weren't going to go back to united but now hearing that bloody hell yeah I literally he's been, he's been training behind closed doors at carrington and uh, and apparently two or three weeks he's gonna there's gonna be a big uh, a it's, go- it's, yeah. it's gonna be like a, a deadline day signing. Man United have got back with Mason Greenwood. Oh my god! And Ten Hag freed him up. <laughs> you imagine? 
Ted Hag looked at the laws in Holland and went, that's not right. We can we can let that pass. That's perfectly legal down here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what would be worse? Do you know what would be worse? Imagine if he took the number seven jersey as well. Oh, oh nah, that's a bit too soon, man. It Nasty could happen. Man. It's a vacant number seven. It's a vacant number seven. It's crazy. It sounds but look, listen, cool. listen, listen. Round off, round off. We don't want to talk about that Muppet. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not the case. But yeah, let's round up for our listeners on a high. So everyone, thanks for listening so far uh, into this podcast. We are going to be talking about and finishing off with the FA Cup. So obviously it's the FA Cup third round um, coming up this weekend as well. Some amazing games coming up. I'm going to the Man United versus Everton game tomorrow. Probably one of the biggest ties in the tournament so far. Obviously the biggest um, it's Chelsea versus Man City on Sunday evening. But realistically speaking, guys, I wanted to know kind of your thoughts on the FA Cup. Is it still a re- relevant trophy? Is it still as big as it used to be? And what are your kind of favourite FA Cup memories? So, Suki, being a Spurs fan, um, it's been very difficult for you over the last few years as well, um, being in an FA Cup as well, because you've got to a couple semi-finals, quarter-finals. But realistically speaking, Antonio Conte could do a job for you in this FA Cup. That's how I'm seeing it, but... Um, yeah, I just, uh, again, I don't see it happening. I reckon we'll probably play against freaking Forest or something away, end up losing like 2-1 in extra time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really counting. I'm not putting all my eggs in my basket for that. So I'm just happy just to to try and get to top four at least. That's I think that's our main focus and try and do a decent run in the Champions League to try and make an effort. But in terms of FA Cup, it's, I mean, it's still a trophy that's up for grabs, right? So you always got to play for it. But I think in terms of the scale, and you've seen the beauty of the FA Cup, the, the shock exits that we get. I think we're prominently known, like Middlesbrough last year, absolutely annihilated us. So, Jed again, Spence. yeah, Jed Spence and the, the guys. So, Sorry, well, Jed, Spence, Jed Spence was at Nottingham Forest, and then you had the other right road. back who was really good as well. So, that's what I remember yeah. at Nottingham Forest last season. Fantastic. Well, Middlesbrough owned Spence, didn't they? But yeah. he was on loan at Forest. So, then obviously, they, yeah. So, I think, yeah, looking at it again, we could probably play our second string. But if you look at our second string in terms of our bench subs, just they're not up to scratch for it, really. So, You've got Portsmouth really... tomorrow, though. It should be it should be an easy game, you would imagine. I mean, Portsmouth away, you never know. <laughs> You'll end up losing like 2-0. You're Quick home. Two Are we at home? You're home. Ah, yeah, again, I'm not really excited so much, man, honestly. So so that's, 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 that's yeah. answer my question. It's not as exciting as other competitions now as well for a Spurs fan. There's been in, in the Champions League as well. It's just another competition. I, I don't <laughs> think that for a West Ham fan either. Like, I'm not a huge fan of... Really? Of the West, and I'm not a huge fan of the, of the FA Cup. For, oh for a team like West Ham, it, there there are two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as like, oh yeah, this is a chance for us to win a trophy this season because you know you only come up against a certain amount of Premier League teams, and then you you know you beat one of the big boys, and then you're through to the semis, and then you get a Wembley trip. But like for example, we got Brentford away, mm. and I, I just, like I'm just not interested in it. Like I know Brentford are going to turn up thinking like, we're going to go and really full out for this and. The FA Cup for me has, has lost so much credibility over the last four or five years. I think COVID hasn't helped because I think after COVID where like I, I couldn't even tell you, and this might just be my ball knowledge, but I couldn't tell you who the last FA Cup final was, like who the two teams were. I, 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 remember, I remember Liverpool lo- no, Liverpool won against... Penalties to Chelsea, yeah. Really, Chelsea. That took us a while to figure that out. Yeah, Danny was you right. Know, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> usually before it was like, oh, who was in the... Like, if we asked about the Champions League final, we asked about like, the uh, Europa League final, you can tell yourself in a heartbeat. Yeah. For me, and this is the most interesting part about it, recently I've been really getting into non-league football. I've been loving uh, the National League and the National League South. Uh, haven't had a chance to look at the National League North just because of location. Mm. Uh, but there are a couple of teams in here which I think can really do a shift. I think Boreham Wood at home against Accrington 
Um, that could be an upset. That's a National League team taking out a League Two team. I, I really love the idea of Wrexham uh, going away to Coventry this weekend and picking up. I mean, my friends are mad about Wrexham. They've never been to Wrexham, but because of this FX documentary of Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhenney, they just love Wrexham now. They know, they know all the players. They play with them on FIFA. I'm yeah. like, why? And it's like, because of the documentary, because of Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, okay, cool. Do what you need to do in it. It's, it's, it's Ryan Reynolds. If you like him, you like him. But it's, it's quite crazy to see how Wrexham can p- come up in that kind of way as well. Um, but no, I'm glad you mentioned the, the lower league teams. One one big game for me, it's not a big game at all, but for me personally, Stockport County versus Walsall um, Sunday, I think it's at two o'clock as well. Yeah. And that's basically because Walsall, I've scouted for Walsall in the past as well. It's my local team. Uh, well, it was one, my local team once upon a time. Um, they're in the third round of the FA Cup for the first time in a long time as well. So this could be a chance where they could beat a team and get into the fourth round and have a major tie. The last time... Walsall Football Club played a big team in rather the League Cup or the FA Cup was against Jose Mourinho's Chelsea in 2015-16. So that was a home game. That was a really big game. So as you mentioned about Wrexham and for people who have known about like the Wrexham documentary of Ryan Reynolds and stuff, you know when it's a non-league game or a lower league game and they get a home tie against a really big opposition, things go to town for them as well. And it works so well financially. It benefits them really well. Um, realistically speaking I think it's more the magic of the cup is definitely going to be for some of these um, smaller teams uh, beating the bigger teams as well we want to see giant killings I don't want to see us lose to Everton but we want to see some giant killings as well Forest Green that that mock that circus the Frank Lampard (laughs) circus I want to get Frank Lampard sacked I want to get him sacked on Friday night I don't think you will but it will just be funny to watch I I think I think you pick up a a one or two nil win uh, you know, Jordan Pickford could have another howler mm. or any of the players that on that uh, team. I watching that game against Brighton. I know Brighton are a very well drilled side and and Zerbi is doing it is doing a great job, but Jesus Lord, that was tough to watch. That was <laughs> even the highlights was tough to watch as well. It was just embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Calamity of errors is what it was. It's just a calamity of errors. And you, who else is on your list for the FA Cup there? You were just going through a list then. Was yeah, do you have any more? Uh, what the non-league sides? Yeah, yeah, yeah the non-league sides. Yeah. Um, let me have a. I don't. Oxford really... are playing Arsenal, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oxford at home. Forest Green are playing Birmingham. Birmingham. Forest Green obviously being League One. They've they've done well over the last couple of years. An interesting one. Uh, Gillingham, uh, one of my local clubs, who are the only uh, affiliated EFL club in Kent. They've just been bought by American owners. Oh wow! Uh, currently sitting bottom of League Two. Um, and they've just been bought by American owners and they've got Leicester at home. So if Gillingham were to put out a result, that would be a real big boost um, to to any any Gillingham fan out there that's going to be looking at that game thinking, what what can we do with that? Um, what games are on TV? Let me have a look. Let me have a look. So Man United-Everton, then you've got Sheffield that. United versus Newcastle, then Liverpool versus Wolves. The only non-league one or the lower league one that we can see is Oxford versus Arsenal on Monday. I think yeah. that's a travesty. Like normally, they'd have a a big game. See, it's infrastructure, it's infrastructure. The stadiums, it's, it, they can hold the capacity of all these cameras. Yeah, but mm. yeah, that's it's like with that. VAR being at some and not being at others as well, which which is crazy to really see as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I get your point of view. So I have to have like the limited. Danny's got more. Danny's firing more. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm looking at it. All the other ones look fairly straightforward. Uh, yeah, Hartlepool at home to Stoke. Hartley Ball obviously being a National League side or a League Two side, sorry. 
just promoted from from the National League. They're a bit of a yo-yo team at the moment between the National yeah. League and League Two. Stoke sitting quite well in uh, oh no, the 18th in the championship. They're not doing good. Stoke. They're not doing good, bruv. I'm looking oh, at yeah. Stoke. And I'm I'm just hearing it from my friends locally in Stoke, and they're just like not happy with some players. And I'm like, oh, I know that player. And like, yeah, he used to be good like, six years ago. Now it's crap. Like talking about people who's like Phil Jagielka and like Glenn Whelan and people like that, Fuck and yeah. Joe Allen. And you're like, oh my days, they still play. It's crazy to see how they still play, um, which is crazy. But yeah, just to wrap up the podcast, everyone, name a couple of your favorite what um FA Cup memories. I'd love to hear it. Oh, obviously, Danny, you've been a West Ham fan. Um, did you have any specific West Ham moments that you thought, you know what, this was a sick moment in the FA Cup? Absolutely. When, when, I, when I was taught about the FA Cup, it was unfortunately so during the times of the League Cup and, you know, West Ham, Liverpool and in the Millennium Stadium and, and the loss there. Um, but I was always taught about 1964, um, that famous West Ham side, Jeff Hurst, Bobby Moore lifting the World Cup, our first uh, World Cup, the, that was 1966, lifting mm. the, uh, the FA Cup in 1964. Um, but a most recent FA Cup memory is uh, Adrian against Everton penalty shootout. Uh, he's just saved the penalty to, in the sudden death uh, actions of the penalties. He whips off his gloves, throws them to the floor, and then slots away his penalty and runs into the uh, to the stands of the Berlin ground too. It was it the one of the last games at Upton Park? So um, for him to have that moment, it made him a legend for about three weeks until he made another mistake, <laughs> and then he was back to being. Oh, for God's sake, Adrian's made another mistake. Um, but I remember watching it on TV. It was a it was a late late night, um, and and for him to pull off the gloves and then absolutely pack Pickford into the corner and then run into the crowd. Great moment, great memory. Nah, nicely done. It was good to see how West Ham did in that tournament. I think, um, yeah, you, you tend to go around quarterfinals, but it's been a while since you've been to a semi final, so it would be good to see you on a cup run as well going forward Suki how about you for, from a Spurs point of view as well have you had any very good memories from them I'm not talking about the time when you had to play Vinicius against that non-league side and he scored and he did that do you remember when he did that oh, that yeah. celebration who was that I, against I forgot the team uh, oh flipping out they were up north somewhere man I think they were near us in the East Midlands it's like a random team no it was yeah. it was in it was in Liverpool I think let's have a look was it Liverpool yeah, yeah it was up north it was up north somewhere yeah it was um, I mean the pitch was atrocious and we're playing Bale so uh, yeah, but I think for, for us as a, as a Spurs one, the kind of most recent one is probably our comeback win against Wickham Wanderers when we when we, we won three two. Scored the last minute win. The that's mighty Wickham, the mighty. You know what I mean? That's how bad it is. Yeah, freaking Akifemi was just bullying the shit out of us in that <laughs> game. So I mean, just to just to claw that. But I mean, and um, when when you look at like the finals, obviously that's what you look at the most. You're looking at like Drogba against United. It was 08, the little chip, the one two. Oh seven. Uh, so the time. Mm. Yeah, then you look at Man City against United, that 1-0, where that was the tide where it was changing, where City was starting to come into... I think that was, that was the semi-final. Wasn't it a final? I'm sure they played you in a final, no? Semi-final, Yaya Torre. And then they beat Stoke uh, in the final. Yeah, I mean, even then, like, that's a, a, a memorable moment where they kind of transitioned. Oh, yeah, because they played Stoke, didn't they? Yeah. Sorry, not yeah. Stoke, did they play it? Yeah, Stoke. Stoke. Stoke in the yeah. final. Jeez, memories, man. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at that, Man City, that was the, the kind of transition for them to start becoming a big team and then start winning their trophies. So, I mean, there's loads. There's loads of moments in the FA Cup, this kind of shock exit. Uh, obviously, our one when we lost to freaking Middlesbrough, so that's been one of them. So, I think they're all bad moments for me at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, it's it's always good for, like, cup, cup upsets. But then when you, it kind of alludes to what Danny was saying in terms of you looking at us as Spurs and West Ham fans and we're, we're kind of saying to you, like, really, it's not really realistic enough for us as a team because you get to those latter stages, you've always got City there, you've always got Chelsea, you've always got Liverpool, 
you'll end up having United and it's always you always end up being a Premier League or kind of final. You never really get any kind of deep teams. So it's not really the greatest in terms of that kind of co- being competitive. But from the early stages, there's a bit of kind of competitiveness. And I think that's where we get kind of the, the little short clip videos of where shot little teams in League 2 beat a Premier League team. But again, when you get to the latter stage, it just gets boring and mundane. It's a bit similar to the League Cup as well, the same kind of format where you get Man City there every year. So it gets repetitive after a while. Yeah, I can agree as well. Because even now we've got Chelsea versus Man City third round again, but we all know Man City are going to go all out and Chelsea aren't in the best of forms. The game's probably started as well in the Premier League, which we'll watch after this as well. Um, but yeah, realistically speaking... Interesting, go- interesting concept has come to my head. Mm-hmm. I really like how they do... Um, I don't even know what the, what the, what the uh, competition's called. I think it's like the Papa John's trophy where in the lower leagues, instead of playing a knockout stage, they do group stages. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yes. I think that could be really interesting in terms of if you randomised four teams. Um, and I know they they mentioned a load of things today, actually, about how they wanted to increase um, under-23 teams and youth teams into the into the uh, Carabao Cup. Yeah. But maybe that could be the new way to, to spice it up in terms of if you if you, you you separate all the Premier League teams, you do 20 groups, um, and then that way everyone gets a couple of extra cup, cup games a season. Um, they can play them on certain weekends of the year. The big teams are going to get their away day. The home teams are going to get their like their their chance to go and put on a show. And uh, yeah, I think that might be potentially a new way of, of doing it. Even if you do 10 groups or I don't even know how it would work, like, like a World Cup format over a course of a season. Where it could, it could, could cause a lot of burnout to be fair as well. And you're thinking that's about the only it. thing I'm thinking of now because obviously some teams like West Ham they go, Oh no, we've been eliminated from the Carabao Cup, let's move on. Yeah, um, so if they were it's to- like with the Nations League in a way, you've kind of got the international friendlies where you can trial and error now turn into the Nations League where you're getting relegated, and because it's now a league. People are then um, criticizing the manager and the players a lot because they're not turning up for these games where they're in their mind they're thinking it's just another friendly as opposed to yeah. qualification for the World Cup. Because what do they do when they uh, get top of the group? They end up playing in the final, or if they don't, they get promoted to another group, um, which is crazy as well. So, yeah, lots to think about in that kind of way. And yeah, my favorite memories from the FA Cup winning in 2016 and 2004. It's more sad memories, uh, kind of more than anything, but you always want to remain optimistic. It's Man United's best time to actually secure a trophy with the form that we've got going on as well, with the players that we've got finally in this team as well. Realistically speaking, though, one of my favourite FA Cup memories involves Wigan beating Man City at Wembley for the FA Cup. That was a, oh, that was a yes. proper... Who's it? Ben Watson? Sean Maloney corner? Watson, Watson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy when you when you think about it. The players that they had on the pitch: Tevez, Aguero, Nasri. Um, you're looking at some of these players: Roberto Mancini, Prime Mancini, and Prime Man City at the time as well. And you're just like, okay, Roberto Martinez, um, going from Wigan to Everton to becoming the Belgian manager. All started from there. If he if if Ben Watson doesn't score against um, Man City, they get relegated as usual, and they become uh, finalists in the FA Cup, and they just go down and they never come back up because they've not been back up. Uh, in the Premier League since then, Wigan, that was a last big hurrah in the top flight, being FA Cup winners and then get relegated um, the same season as well, which is crazy. But for me, that's always a memory that stands out for me um, from what I've kind of seen as well. You remember the giant killings as well, which is always good. I always remember, I think it was Newport County beating Leicester for some reason. I remember watching it, I think it was during lockdown. That's why I remembered it quite a lot because there's all these games on, we had nothing to do. It was lockdown still as well in the winter. I'm like, okay, cool, let's watch some FA Cup games. And I remember just watching it and remember just talking to my wife about the different types of FA Cup games and why it goes to penalties and why it goes to 
extra time and why there's replays. And I just really enjoyed that as well. Um, getting to watch games like that as well, which is really good fun. Um, but yeah, nicely done, everyone. Um, look forward to seeing you all again soon. Like I said to you both pri- uh, privately, you're always welcome to come on whenever you want on the podcast because I'm looking forward to this year and the plans that we've got going forward, um, which will be good fun. But no, thanks for your time, everyone. Um, Danny, it's been a pleasure. Soki, it's been a pleasure. Any last messages from both of you before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, Levy out. Spend some fucking money, please. Moyes out. Moyes out. <laughs> and we're talking about Harry Maguire out. Let's get Harry Maguire out. For I'll take Harry Maguire at West Ham, but thank you. we'll have him. A lot of people, oh. a lot of people would, but I'm like Luke Shaw did a quite a good job at centre back the other day, and he did it twice, like two, three games in a row. He's done really, really well. So there could be a future for Luke Shaw as a, as a second lease of a defender as a centre back. So you never know. But I'll take uh, Maguire or West Ham in a heartbeat, man. We'll, we'll re, uh, rejuvenate him just like Lingard. I mean, he would suit your style of play as well. That's the thing, Harry Maguire. Yeah. He would actually do really well. Would you take him, Suki? Would you take Maguire? Nah, no way. Get that fridge away from me, man. What? In your back five, it would work really well. Lad, even to, I think Tyron Mings is the worst centre-back I've ever seen in my life, visually. <laughs> I've seen them both, play him and Maguire, and I think they're the most atrocious defenders we've got in the UK, man, completely. When you look at actually like non-league, Danny, you've you've definitely seen players in non-league that play better ball. Mamadou Jones you know for St. Albans. Up there you go, see? There's a shout-out. He scored the other day. He's on loan from Cambridge. He, uh, he's played two games. I've seen them both and he's, he's had 10 out of 10 performances in both games. He's quality. Yeah. You look at Maguire, he, the way he turns, oh my God. Yeah. It's I was just... cheering him not getting nutmeg the other day against Bournemouth and I was like, like yes, Maguire, you've got this, you've got this. He just It's just one of those things. You have to support your players when you're with them as well. But no, um, yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Take care. Do follow us on our, on our socials as well. Take care and we'll see you later.